Hi there, welcome to 1823 Podcast. This is a place where you'll find conversations about a whole range of interesting topics with some of the really interesting people at or connected to Liverpool John Moores University. We hope that you'll find it, well, interesting. This is 1823 Podcast. I'm Stuart Arrowsmith. This is episode one, The Lonely Generation. It is a massive problem in our society and it seems to be getting worse. Loneliness and social isolation seem to be increasing. I felt very lost, very didn't know what I was doing um, and became uh, a bit depressed. I felt like I was the only one that felt this way. It's been some of the hardest years I think like I can remember. You know, um, as I said, it's, it's been, I found myself like for a, for a number of weeks not being able to get out of bed. When we use the word loneliness, it perhaps brings to mind the stereotype of the elderly person living alone. But a number of recent studies show that loneliness is increasingly felt most strongly by young people, particularly 16 to 24 year olds. In this episode, we'll talk about the different feelings associated with loneliness and how we can overcome them. We'll ask how young people can feel lonely in such a connected social media age and we explore some of the life events that can trigger loneliness. 1823 Podcast. Our first guest on this episode is Dr Jason McIntyre, a lecturer in psychology at LJMU. And Jason, I'd like to start just by defining loneliness, please, and just tell us what are the, the characteristics that accompany it. So loneliness is a feeling. It's not about the number of people you have around. It's not even about the number of friends that you have. It's about having the number of friends and social connections that you want as an individual. So about having those close relationships and and feeling like you have enough uh, social contacts to meet your needs. Is it a big problem in our society? It is a massive problem in our society and it seems to be getting worse. Loneliness and social isolation seem to be increasing and with things like social media, face-to-face contact seems to be decreasing and it seems to be a particular issue for both younger people and for older people um, as well. It's important for our physical health and our mental health. Um, So there was a study actually conducted in 2010 looking at Uh, risk of early death and it looked at a whole range of risk factors that included um, increasing your exercise, quitting smoking, getting the flu vaccine, um, losing weight and what they found was um, looking at an amalgamation of lots of different research um, that increasing your social connections was actually the best thing you could do to reduce your risk of early death. How big a problem is it among young people and is, is that an increasing trend that we're seeing? Uh, Yes, it does seem to be quite a big issue for young people and it seems to be tied quite closely to their mental health. So um, we actually conducted a study um, recently looking at uh, mental health and social factors amongst young people, um, including university students. Um, And we found that in particular amongst university students, um, 42% Um, of the people in our sample met the clinical criteria for anxiety and 25% met the clinical criteria for depression. And also quite worryingly, um, 2.5% of people in our sample reported a a genuine suicide attempt where where they actually expected it to end their life. So these are quite concerning statistics um, that we found. But importantly and related to 
loneliness, we looked at all these possible causes of why um, students might be experiencing these mental health issues. So we, we looked at potential risk factors such as um, experiencing childhood trauma, um, financial stress, which is quite common among students. Uh, we also looked at academic stresses, which are obviously quite salient, and also things like um, discrimination, religious and racial discrimination. Um, and looking at all those um, factors, we actually found loneliness was the biggest risk factor um, for having clinical symptoms in this student population, which was quite interesting, even when you take into account all those other potential uh, risk factors. So loneliness is a very big problem um, for young people. And there's the irony that we've probably never been more connected as a society with, with social media and with technology, but actually that, that doesn't seem to help in a lot of cases. Um, yeah, so that's a bit more of a complicated um, issue, the issue of um, the internet and, and social media and how that impacts on loneliness. And what the research um, seems to be suggesting at the moment is it depends on how people use social media as to how it impacts on people's mental health. And so, for uh, example, there was a study that looked at social media use amongst first year and final year students in the US, and they found that social media use was associated uh, with worse mental health and lower well-being, but this was only amongst the first year students. And it turned out that the main reason was that a lot of first year students were using it to keep in touch with their high school friends, so they weren't actually in physical contact with anymore. Mm. And so they were using social media a lot. And this is actually limiting the time they were spending on campus um, and making new real world social connections at university. For the seniors, more social media use tends to be associated with actually increased well-being and better mental health. And it turned out the seniors were using uh, social media to actually strengthen their existing social relationships on campus and so they were using it in a slightly different way to strengthen their real world social connections. So it really does seem to depend how you use social media into what kind of impact it has on your mental health. A, um, another thing that seems to be coming out of the research is this phenomenon called social snacking and so um, people do this quite a bit actually, you might go on social media and rather than actually being actively engaged um, with your social media community, you might just be scrolling through, looking at other people's profiles, looking at other people's conversations, but not actually engaging with the social media um, yourself. And so if you're just doing this social snacking and not actually interacting and using social media as a platform to strengthen your real world social relationships, then it tends to be worse for your mental health. Interesting. And that fits in with what you said at the start as well. It's it's the quality of your friendships and your social media use, not the kind of uh, the numbers that are involved in each. Yeah, that's a, that's exactly right. Um, so it's about the the quality of relationships and having um, real world relationships and using social media more as a as a tool to stay in touch um, with people rather than. Uh, a um, replacement for, for real-world social interactions. And to what extent would you say that our, our social groups affect our mental health in, in more general terms? Yeah, so social groups seem to be very important and there's an, an emerging literature referred to as a social cure uh, literature that looks at social groups and the extent to which we identify or feel that we belong to groups. Um, and like I was saying earlier, it doesn't seem to be about the size of the social groups or the number of friends you might have in a particular social group. 
that's important. It's more important how much you identify with the group, which is why it's important to, to find groups that sort of match your um, interests and values. Um, and it's also important whether the, the group is positive, whether it's a source of self-esteem and personal control for you. Uh, we've found, for example, that if you belong to a group that's positive, such as your local neighbourhood or your um, friends at university, then this seems to boost your self-esteem and in turn that improves your mental health and well-being. If, on the other hand, you feel like you belong to a group that's discriminated against um, or makes you feel powerless, then that tends to reduce your well-being um, and increase your risk of mental health problems. Um, for example, in a recent study we conducted uh, with African-Caribbean immigrants, um, we found that feeling part of Britain actually was associated with better mental health among those people. But for people who were experiencing discrimination from British people, feeling like they belonged to Britain was actually harmful to their mental health. So groups are great for your mental health, um, but provided they're a source of self, self-worth um, and don't make you feel um, powerless due to things like um, discrimination. How can we improve this issue? I mean, what, what are the kind of things that people can do to try and avoid feeling lonely? So there's quite simple things you can do. Um, obviously, for some people, it might be quite um, difficult to um, get out there and get out into the social world and increase their social um, connections. But it, it is important to just to just try and interact more with people, just get out there, even if it's just saying hello um, to someone in the street, trying to get to know um, your neighbours in your, in your local area. Um, it's also a really good idea if you can join a group um, that interests you. So think about the activities or hobbies or sports that you have that you're particularly interested in and see if there's any um, local organisations or clubs or events that you can go to um, and meet like-minded people. And that's the best way to build your social circle and, uh, and build up your um, social connections. You could also do things um, like organise a, a meal, um, cook a meal, or you could go out to a meal with your work colleagues or acquaintances. Um, that is a good way of um, both potentially reducing your loneliness, but you might also there might also be lonely people in your workplace who want to increase their social connections um, as well. And I guess my final piece of practical advice would be if someone starts a conversation with you really try to engage in that conversation and make make it a good conversation like try and spare a a few minutes for that person um, if you can rather than trying to get out of the conversation so just trying to make the most um, of those opportunities uh, for social interaction and what about if we spin those scenarios round as well how much responsibility is there on other people to to look out for signs of, of loneliness among among our colleagues our friends yeah i think it's always good to do that and if um, sometimes it's not easy um, to spot but that's when it's always a good idea if you can just say hello if you can start a conversation you can start to get a sense of of whether this person maybe wants a social interaction or wants more social interaction so again it is just about um, engaging with with people um, when you have the opportunity um, to do so thank you to dr jason mcintyre Now, one of the triggers for loneliness among young people can be moving away from home, whether that's for education, employment, asylum or a host of other reasons. A project which aims to help people settle in their new surroundings and reduce the risk of loneliness and isolation is called Inclusive Cities. This is a two-year programme taking place in five cities across the UK. 
Liverpool is one of them, with a number of partners on board, including LJMU and Liverpool City Council. Jill Summers is the joint head of Safer and Stronger Communities in Liverpool. She's been telling me how important it is that people work together to support newcomers. I think absolutely. No, no one organisation or no one person has the answer to everything. It's really important that if somebody comes to me and says, you know, can you, can you tell me um, where I can go and get a good meal at night or where I can access support for somebody who's sleeping rough, then I might not know the answers to those, but I might know somebody who does. So having those networks and good relationships makes it a lot easier for people to feel connected and to be able to access the support that they might need. And what are the issues for people if they come here and that support isn't there for them? What does that do for them in terms of their, their mental health and their sense of belonging to the city? Well, I think when we're talking about inclusive cities, we're very much focused on people who arrive into the city normally from abroad. So that could be that they're coming here to work or to study from a different country, or it could be that they are fleeing violence and coming here as an asylum seeker or as a refugee. One of the things that they all have in common is the acquisition of language and being able to speak English because that really does affect your ability to hit the ground running, integrate, make friends, be able to access key services. So whether or not that you're a professor at a university or somebody who's being posted here um, by an international firm or whether you're an asylum seeker or refugee, just being able to have the language skills to be able to make connections, be able to access clubs, and make you feel involved. It just we, we know from all of the studies that we have that language acquisition is a real pointer to how you're able to thrive and also get on um, in life. So we are very much of the opinion within the council and also within the Inclusive Cities Task Force that acquisition of English is absolutely key. And that whether that's through informal or formal levels because we recognize that from a professional capacity you know you may need to have certain technical language that you need for your particular job but everybody needs that everyday language to be able to get on the bus to be able to do the shopping in tesco um, to be able to watch tv and listen to the radio so we're always trying to find ways in which we can encourage those more informal classes around Esol and that could be in local church groups. We know there's fantastic work done out in the city by church groups and not-for-profit groups. Um, students do a lot of work as well, um, exchanging different languages um, in order to improve their own English skills but I think that can make a really good connection for somebody who comes here, can make a connection, can make a friend and it can open up a whole new aspect of the city that they might not have if they were just sitting in their room and you know watching TV that could be in a language from back home because we all know how easy that is with internet these days. You could come here and not actually have to speak that much English if you didn't want to. And how damaging would it be to those people if, if they don't integrate? You know, How big is the risk of feeling lonely and feeling isolated in a new place that they're not familiar with? I think it's a huge risk. I think it, you know, it's a confidence issue as well. We know, for example, I'll give you an example with asylum seekers and refugees, Asylum Link Merseyside, who part of the Inclusive, task for, Inclusive Cities Task Force, and they do a lot of really positive work with us. They do walking tours, so befrienders and volunteers who will um, bring them out, meet them, and do a walking tour around the city to look at the architecture, to look at the um, the cathedrals to get them familiar and that can really change people if they've had nothing else to look forward to all week if they've got that on a weekly or a monthly basis and then are able to speak to people who perhaps are in a, a similar situation 
that can have a really positive impact on their mental well-being and their confidence to go out and do things perhaps by themselves and return week after week um, to do those activities. So we've talked about different backgrounds that people have. What about different age groups? Do they have different needs when they come into the city in order to, to feel at home here? I think absolutely. You know, there's that intergenerational issue as well. I think there's a couple of things really. So if you look at students, for example, they are leaving home. Some of them come from villages or different towns throughout the UK and they arrive. And I think probably there's an assumption that you're at university, it's great. There's loads of things going on. You know, it's go, go, go. But I'm sure that they will feel a little bit of trepidation um, as they strive to make friends and perhaps feel insecurities. But I think there's also a wider social issue around family dispersal, if you like, in that years ago, people used to grow up, get married, and their siblings or parents would only live a few streets away or certainly in the same town or city. Whereas now, people are a lot more spread out. So, for example, my own sister lives on the south coast of England. Um, my dad doesn't live too far away, so I'm able to see him on a regular basis, on a weekly basis. But a lot of people, they might not see somebody from one week to the next. So I think that is a really... Um, important issue that's facing us and I think being able to talk to someone face to face is really important even the things like if you if you're worrying about something and you're not really interacting with anyone and something's worrying you you haven't got a sounding board just to be able to somebody to say to you a sense check to say oh you know you don't need to worry about that or here's somebody you can ring you know I can sort that out for you and a lot of reports recently have have highlighted the fact that loneliness is, a, is an issue, particularly with younger people, 16 to 24 year olds. Do you think the network that's created with inclusive cities can, can address that age group? I, I think the inclusive cities goes across a, a range of people, but some of the things that, that we're looking to do, so which would hit the 16 to 24 year old age group, is things like having a workplace buddy, which, you know, if people come and they get a job, um, particularly if they're coming from overseas, and they might not know about some of the softer aspects of when you um, join a new workplace. So say, for example, what's the etiquette around when it's somebody's birthday and you bring cakes in? Or, you know, when do you book holidays? Or what do you do around Christmas time when you're organising nights out? So having somebody, and that's a trade union uh, proposal initiative that they're looking to do, can, can almost recreate that apprentice type vibe that a lot of people had and role models in the workplace where they would be able to put their arm around a younger person and to show them the ropes around both professionally what they what was needed to be done in the job but also um, how you operate on some of the softer skills around making friends and establishing establishing yourself within the workplace so certainly it can you know can really benefit on that but english language acquisition for people who are coming from overseas that is almost our number one priority to ensure that they can equip themselves with the language skills and the social skills to be able to, to get out and make friends and do things in the city so that they're not afflicted by loneliness and then see that downward spiral in their mental health. That's Jill Summers from Liverpool's Inclusive Cities Project. So we've heard about the support being offered to help people overcome loneliness when they move away from home to a new city, but how common is the sense of loneliness when people either return home or complete their education or employment? How much does it affect us when we say goodbye to the social networks that we've built up since leaving home? Like in someone, people like let's meet up. Like I was scared to meet up with them in case they thought like, no, I'm not the same as I was, and. 
I don't like the idea of them having like a different perspective of me in case they thought like oh look she's completely different and I think like it was a bit lonely like summer was lonely what even is my life like what's the point what am I getting up for in the morning because I can't go out like I can't meet people because I literally can't afford to get the bus it's been some of the hardest years I think like I can remember you know um as I said it's it's been I found myself like for for a number of weeks not being able to get out of bed a couple of examples there of how graduates have described their emotions after completing their university education they and many others have recorded their thoughts and feelings for a new live theatre show which explores life after graduation. Boast Uni Plus combines physical comedy, music and dance to tackle post-university depression and promote mental health and well-being. Grace Gallagher is an LJMU graduate and created Boast Uni Plus. She's been telling me about the origins of the show. The idea kind of came from, it was my own experience, so I graduated last July. I think it was just the shock to the system of graduating and the effect that that had on me. So I felt very lost, very didn't know what I was doing, um, and became uh, a bit depressed in like the months that came after graduating. I felt like I was the only one that felt this way, and I think you should be over the moon, like you should be on cloud nine. And I think when you're not, it kind of like messes with your emotions a bit. And yeah, I felt like, I thought I was the only one that felt that way. So how did you then broach that with other people to actually find out that yeah. no, you're not alone, other people are feeling this same sense of loneliness and, and lost to some yeah. degree as well? Yeah, well it was really interesting because I think it just, I think because it's lots of stuff that was just bubbling up um, under me and I was and I was just under the surface like not coping very well I, remember I was making dinner in the kitchen and my friend um, a friend of a friend was around because he was visiting someone else and he just popped into the kitchen and he pretty much was just like oh hi yeah how are you and then it just like everything it just like spilled over and it just took someone being like oh how are you and I think he just expected me to be like yeah yeah good yeah and I was I just kind of lost it I was like not well I'm not I'm not good at all and um and he and then he reached out and he said that he felt exactly the same and it created this kind of discussion of everyone in my house um reaching out and saying that they felt the same way and I was thinking well and I was just like gobsmacked like why have we not talked about this why is no one talking about it and so it was from then I thought what can I do and I was interested in seeing how other people felt about it. So it was at that point I decided to reach out to recent graduates to see if people would be interested in being interviewed for a verbatim show. Um, so it just it was just reaching out with a quick message to loads and loads of people that I knew, saying like, thinking of creating a show about uh, post-junior blues, post-graduate depression, um, would you be interested in chatting to us about that? So then when it went on to doing the interviews, it was really interesting because I actually didn't have to do that much because you think that I might have to quite mm. prod and push and like, but I only had a few set questions and it was more of just a discussion. But like I said, it's like, because no one's asking, I think when you do sit someone down and just say, how are you feeling? It th That's all it would take for some people to then talk for up to 40 minutes mm. about how they were feeling just because they hadn't been asked and it had been bubbling for so long. It was so interesting because obviously I was doing interviews like day in, day out over a few weeks and like I was hearing the same stuff over and over again, like the exact like so the exact same phrases, like lost was coming up so much, people saying they were lonely so much. No one was talking to each other. Like a big question that I'd ask is, have you spoken to anyone about how you feel? 
and 100% of people said no and that I just like couldn't believe that everyone was feeling that way but nobody was talking about it so yeah so from then it was taking the interviews and then we created this really really daft clowning show with music and dance and puppetry and like that it's completely not what you expect you're gonna see um, because yeah, that ju- was just the tell way. us a bit more then yeah. about the format because it's very serious subject it's matter, a really but you yeah, deal exactly. with it in a, in a really light-hearted yeah, way it's a really serious subject so I feel like obviously like my background comes from like a physical theatre comedy and like clowning background so that's the only way I could possibly think about approaching it um, and like I felt like it was the correct way to approach it to make it something that's because it's so hard to talk about, we need to. Fi- we had to find a way of making that a bit easier for people. Um, and so it's like the format is like you follow these three clowns um, as they go. They get their results and then they go to uni, and we have the whole freshers section and through university, and then they leave and they leave and they graduate. Um, but it's all done. There's loads of music, like loads of techno music, where we've taken little samples from the interviews and created music with them. There's loads of dance. There's puppetry. There's music, and it's it's overall just completely daft. Like it is just so much fun. It's so much high energy, and um, and I feel like people just really resonated with that because it just seemed like it made this really difficult subject much easier to kind of comprehend and a lot of people in some some of the feedback they've said that the abstract the way that it was so abstract somehow made it easier for people mm. to understand mm. what it was like but it's all based on verbatim yeah it's completely verbatim so the whole time you're listening to the recorded interviews and so like say for example you'll be listening to people talking about their freshest experience while these clowns kind of like act it out or move to it and dance to it or just listen to it um but yeah it's it's so hard to explain because like you have to see it to believe it but it's just a lot of fun like it is really high energy And, and you mentioned the people who were interviewed were kind of saying a lot of the same things. Yeah. Were, were they the things that you were feeling as well? Did you identify with yeah. what people told you? Oh, yeah, definitely. It was definitely... Um, it was so uh, therapeutic for me to go and talk to so many people because it definitely was some of the same things that I was feeling. And then also, like, reaching out to some people, I found that some people were actually much much worse off than I was. Like, some people were in a much darker place than I was so that was really interesting but overall it was general it was a general sense of loss and general sense of loneliness and not reaching out to people like I, I talked to my friend Jade who and she'd moved home and her interview is, is like was one of the like most like heartbreaking and she talked about moving home and um feeling lonely and she said she was afraid to meet up with people over summer like if people wanted to meet up with her she said she felt like she was afraid to in case they thought she was different because of how she felt and she said that that just made her feel completely lonely and she said she had all these plans and it's really interesting because we have in the in the summer section of the show where we represent what summer's like we had the contrast of um like my friend Laurie that she went to Hawaii for like you know like a month and had the best time and we contrasted that with Jade who moved home and just didn't see anyone and we we literally put them like right next to each other back and forth back and forth to kind of show that you just don't know like how how people can be feeling and how different it is for some people but Jade yeah said that she felt she moved home and 
she felt really lonely and she said that one of the worst things about the whole thing was that her mum was constantly asking her why she, why are you always grumpy mm. and she was being trying to explain that it was not it's more than just being grumpy and i think that was one of the the um challenges in creating the show was that I was like I don't want it to sound like it's millennials just whining mm. because I think some people might think oh well you know post postgraduate depressions it's not a real thing it's like post you blues it's like it's like just coming off holiday or it's like they might think well you're young you've got a degree what can you possibly have to feel sad about and um, so I think it was like trying to convince people that it is it is a really serious issue that we should be talking about and we should be giving attention to and it's more it's more than just moaning and whining and feeling ungrateful like it's it's not that at all so i think it's just raising awareness that the help is out there and there are organizations organizations that are there to help them and mostly to talk to each other i think that's the best support line they have is literally everyone else that they graduated with and obviously you'd advise them to come and watch the show as well. Yes, I mean, what... oh, 100%. <laughs> see the show. Um, what is next for the show? What yeah, are your hopes for it? Yes, yeah, so we've done really well so far. So we, we performed the show for the first time in April this year for, for John Moore's University students and graduates. And that had a really amazing, overwhelming response. Um, just, just kind of, we felt like we just cracked the surface and that we started a conversation about something. Um, and then we... Um, we took the show to Nottingham University for their. They had a student, uh, a student festival, a student fringe festival, and they loved it. So we knew. So I was like, okay, so this isn't just Liverpool. I was like, this translates all across, and the students there really, really loved it, and we had amazing, amazing feedback. My my big hopes for the show is that um, we tour to universities next year because I think it's something that, like I said, I think there's a gap as just a kind of like just to like spark a discussion and just to like let them know that there's support there should they feel that way and to offer also give them beneficial advice information on time there's things you can do day to day that can really really help um so that's great and we're being um sponsored by hello grads which is a really really good london-based organization and they deal a lot with supporting graduates and a, and a big focus of theirs is graduate well-being so like in the shows that we do with workshops and post-show discussions we're able to work with hello grads to get their organization out there to help students and when we did the show originally we had so many third year students like thanking us as fluids because they said they just appreciated the honesty they said that was really really useful for them and it helped them so much so that was really amazing you can find out more about Boast Uni Plus by checking out Ugly Bucket Theatre on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. The show returns home to Liverpool in the new year with a performance at the John Foster Drama Studio as part of the First Steps Festival. That's taking place on Sunday the 20th of January. Keep an eye on those social media pages for more details. Now, if you're affected by the issues that we've discussed in this episode, please remember there is help and support out there for you check out hubofhope.co.uk for details of support groups and charities near to you. Now that brings our first episode of 1823 podcast to a close. Thank you to Grace, Jill and Jason for joining us. Thank you also to Michael Humphreys, our producer, Ben Jones, our editor, and Ryan James, an LJMU alumnus who's kindly supplied the artwork for the podcast. And thanks to you for listening in, and we hope you'll check out our other episodes. (laughs) 
1823 podcast.